Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast, the place to learn field-tested, no BS tactics to growth hack your online business, and finally, live life on your own terms. Now, your host, Gael and Mark. Hey guys, welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast. Today, we're talking about a topic that everyone hates, link building. I know you know people want us not to talk about it, but I guess we'll do it anyway. And if you want to find the show notes for this episode, you can find them on atarihacker.com slash link dash building dash roadblocks. And today I'm with Mark again. How's it going, Mark? Going good. Glad you got that plural in there successfully. Yeah. I mean, I had to ask three people before we started the episode, but this time I think it should be okay. Unlike the webinar dates when I said them. But anyway, let's just jump right into it because... I don't think people care a lot about lives. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let's talk about prospecting first. And we're basically going to go through nine problems that are often found when you're doing ring building and what they are, what are the challenges, and how we would recommend you address them. I'm actually going to do the first one. And the first one is people can't find either content ideas to do outreach for, or they can't find guest posting targets for if they want to do guest posting. I'm going to mostly do that, but that kind of works for every type of outreach. Just they can't find targets. They can't find people to email to ask for links. So for example, when people do guest posting, one of the problems is if you're in really tiny niche, people will either run out of sites in their niche pretty quickly. And I'm going to take the example of a site about poodle care. I'm going to stick to the dog niche because we talked a lot about it on Tori Hacker. Like if you have a site about poodle care and you stick to sites about poodles, then there's a good chance you're going to run out of sites or you're just not going to find any to reach out for guest posting, right? How do you think people should address that? Think broader. Basically go to adjacent niches. A lot of people will say, well, I can't. My site's about poodles. How am I going to post on a Labrador site? But like really think broader. If you have a dog site, you could guest post on a health site such as health ambition and write a, a post about no, health, health ambition we don't have the I mean, process <laughs> <laughs> just just so we're clear, don't email us we're not going to accept your guest post but it's a, still a good example because a health type site might be interested on in, you know what are the health benefits of dog ownership i'm sure i read some statistic out there that dog owners are i don't know how you quantify it but happier than non-dog owners or something like that they have a there's some metric out there anyway. Some science. Look it up, guys. Sounds scientific. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the point is you can really go like a lot, a lot further beyond that as well. You know, if you're again to take the poodle example, you can talk about, let's say, productivity. So like how do you manage your work day when you have to take your dog for a walk and make sure you oh don't miss God. like a morning meeting or something like that? Perhaps you yeah, can I, I, I wanna find that piece of content. <laughs> <laughs> that was a bit of an in-joke there. Gail missed the morning meeting today, but I digress. And then you can link that into maybe something about like careers or really anything. You just got to be a little bit more creative about how you connect one niche to the other. Years ago, we did a marketing campaign for a website which sold football jerseys for dogs, which is about like as different of a two separate niches as you can kind of get but it actually opens up like a lot of opportunities in like the sports niche for that site so yeah 
I mean, you just got to think outside the box a little you bit. You know, right? we did it for the gold IRA niche as well. Yeah. So you know, it's a. It's oh, a that was my of- favorite one, actually. Yeah, like uh, we had some amazing guest posts on that. Like that that gold toilet, gold plated toilet, the gold Nintendo sixty four or PlayStation, whatever it was. No, it was no, it was not that. It was how to salvage gold from Nintendo sixty four cartridges. So you buy them in garage sale and you salvage the gold and you make a little bit of money because the gold is worth more than what you pay for them. Yeah. And there literally was like a solid gold toilet. I think it was in Hong Kong somewhere and you could like pay. It was like 50 bucks or something to like use it, which was really That's weird crazy. actually. But it's an interesting topic to write. In, and we know, could write about this on like home improvement sites and link to our gold IRA site because... It's a gold investment, essentially. So we kind of like cross niche to the extreme. I know back in the day as well, there was the Olympics and we were talking a lot about like what's inside a gold medal, how much gold is inside. Actually, not much. Stuff. They're mostly made of silver, but which is interesting. But yeah, I mean, this, that's still not the topic. Yeah. <laughs> the point is cross niche. Go for adjacent niches. This is when like your real creative marketing brain gets like gets put into use. And it works. So like you should never be able to use the excuse, oh, I've, I've guest posted or I've reached out to everyone in my in my niche because it's, it's just not true. You, you, you're not thinking. I mean, for any niche, I can probably guest post on sites related to health, wealth, and relationships yeah. like all the time. Like how a dog can help your relationship, how you can start working out with your dog. The stats of dog owners versus non-dog owners in terms of their careers for mm-hmm. careers like you can do any of these niches and and pretty much for any site you can guest post on all these things and these are like the three most represented niches on the internet after porn obviously and so that gives you unlimited amount of opportunities so guest posting it's like in my view like the way we've done it it's pretty much impossible to run out now there's always the question of you know what is the value of these links because it's a little bit out of topic yeah it's not as good as like getting a link from a high authority site that is exactly in your niche but if you're in a niche where it's difficult to build links then everyone else is struggling to build links and you get still a decent competitive advantage from getting these kind of links and getting higher domain rating especially because in small niches most sites tend to be low domain rating and then when you get niche links, sorry, links, sorry, from you know big magazine sites, big business sites, etc., they do tend to increase your domain rating quite decently. And so that will give you a bit of an edge in these kind of difficult niches. So it's quite important to go for these things, especially in small niches, they work really well, actually. Yep. Okay. And there's the kind of the same problem for skyscraper type of content. So yeah, like skyscraper, which is the principle is you find a piece of content that has a lot of links. And then you create something similar, hopefully better, and try to reach out to the people that link to this piece of content. But some people struggle to find this kind of stuff, and they can't find very popular content in their niche. One advice I have for that is, one, check the Wikipedia pages related to your topic. You can skyscraper Wikipedia pages, and you can find the keywords they rank for. And actually tied to this, checking for the highest keyword difficulty Keywords in your niche is a good idea because the reason why the keyword difficulty is high is because the top ranking pages have a lot of links, right? So keyword difficulty can be used both ways. It can be used for the small keyword difficulty for keywords you can rank for and higher keyword difficulty for content for link building. So it's quite a good thing to do as well. Do you have any other thing for skyscraper you want to talk about? No, not really. I mean, the same thing is true. Like just go as broad as possible. 
I think you wrote something. I didn't quite understand what this HDMI thing you wrote in the notes was. What explain that? I absolutely did not write this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> Maybe we edit Let's, this bit out. <laughs> we'll be back after a short advertising advertising cut, you know. <laughs> anyway, let's go on point two because I have no idea what this is in our notes. Sorry, guys. But point two is finding email contacts. So a lot of people struggle finding the contact that like they find targets, but then they can't find the emails in an easy enough way that it's worth their time. So I know that you've worked a lot on this, so I'll let you talk about this. Yeah, this is fun. So when you start off doing this, you're going to want to do this manually. You're going to want to get a feel for it. You're going to find a site that you need to find the contact information from. And probably the first thing you'll do is you go to the website and you'll look for an email address. Often you can find that on the contact page. If not, maybe the about page, maybe the who we are page, The maybe they have author pages which have the, the details on. Check the header, check the footer. That's kind of standard. Anyone can figure out how to do that. If that does not work, there are another uh, several other things you can think of, though, while still doing it manually and not having to pay for some of the other services, which I'll talk about in a second. So... A simple control F on the page and then searching for the at symbol where the email address would be is often a quick way to, to find that. Sometimes you see email addresses in the sidebar or even in the content somewhere on the homepage. So it's always worth trying that as well. It just takes a few seconds. Something which worked really well for us is going to the social media pages, specifically Facebook. And if you go to the about section of a Facebook page, which no one ever visits usually, you can often find the email address of a site owner right there. I think it might be something, a field that you have to fill up when you're creating a page, or it's certainly one of the options there when you create a page. So a lot of people will will put that in then because no one goes there, they don't really get spammed too much or whatever. So they leave it there. So it's a great place to find these. You can get into more like automated, like discovery using things like Scrapebox and there are other tools out there. It's way too advanced for this, this podcast to go through it. But if you are looking to kind of automate email gathering in a, in a more efficient way, you perhaps you've been through a few thousand of these sites manually and uh, lost the will to live, then you can use a tool. We use hunter.io. There are others out there. Snovio, I think, was one. We actually yeah. tested that, and it wasn't the data quality wasn't as good as Hunter. Hunter's... It, there's find that lead as well. Yeah, there's... Is it find that email or find that lead? I can't remember. And then Walla Norbert is another one. Hunter's the best for a few reasons. Well, first, the data quality is really good. Second, they, they have a domain search, so you can literally just put in the domain name, and it will like output all of the email addresses it has for that domain. And it sort of categorizes them into what it thinks is a personal email, what it thinks is a business email. Sometimes it pulls, I think it's like job titles. Maybe it cross-references it with LinkedIn or something. I'm not quite sure exactly how it works. They have a lot of information on their site about how they actually do this. It's a great tool. I think you can get 150 a month for free. And they have a plugin as well for Chrome extension. So it, when you're on a site, you can actually just press the button and it'll throw up all the emails from that. Now, what makes this super awesome, though, is the bulk upload feature. Let's say you're doing a, a bunch of outreach and you want to find email addresses for you know 500 sites. You can take a CSV and just upload that CSV and it'll output a whole list of all the emails it can find for those sites. So obviously... 
that's a very efficient way to save a lot of time to get a lot of emails very quickly. You do need to do a bit of filtering and sorting and decide which email address to actually send it to. But Hunter even includes a scoring mechanism. So if you want to take a rudimentary approach, you can just send to the the highest scoring personal email, say, for each domain, and that will somewhat automate the, the process. So what do you do if Hunter doesn't find the email? Well, usually what we do at the moment is we start by putting in Hunter. So that's the first thing because it's the most time efficient way to do things. If Hunter doesn't capture or if Hunter doesn't output any emails, which often it doesn't, I think it has maybe a 50 to 60% success rate overall. For the other 40 odd percent, we put them in a separate database and we'll manually run through those. Okay, I'll have one more tip actually. I think one of the things that people don't understand is you don't necessarily have to contact people by email. Another really easy way to contact people is actually through their Facebook page. You know, there's this messenger icon. And Facebook incentivizes businesses to answer because they put the percentage of answers, you know? Yep. And having this lower, it's like it turns yellow, and it's like it lowers the trust in the business on Facebook, etc. So they kind of have an incentive to answer. So I would use that to my advantage, if, especially if someone is unresponsive via email. It can be a second thing, you know? Like if people didn't reply to email, then ping them on Facebook. And at well, least they reply to you. Maybe they'll tell you to, to go away and to never talk to them again, but at least they reply. What's really good about doing it that way is it, that your contact, so when you type in the, the messenger the, to, to contact that page, the person on the other end can click through very easily and see your Facebook profile. So yeah. whatever information you have publicly available is also instantly available to them. So it acts as if you've set up your public profile correctly, and you look like a real person, not a stock photo, then that's a very strong trust signal. And it's actually like a good way to start to build a relationship there. Yeah. What if your stock photo model is starting a website? Well, you're pretty screwed then. I thought <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about the next one, actually. So now we're at the point where we found emails. Now, I know a lot of people have trouble when they start doing outreach, that emails are bouncing and coming back to their inbox when they're trying to email people. Yeah, nine times out of 10, that's because someone registers a new Gmail, like a standard Gmail account and sends 2000 emails on day one from that with the same subject line. Yeah, of course, that's going to be a bit iffy when you're doing this kind of outreach, any kind of scale, even, you know, 50 to 100 in a day, which is perfectly reasonable, even doing manual like email finding and stuff. You first and foremost want to use a G Suite email, not a Gmail email. So there's two reasons for that. First is it's because it will be mark at authorityhacker.com as opposed to mark2179 at gmail.com or whatever else it would, would be, which looks more, it's more branded. It's more real. Looks like you're a little bit more serious. You've We're, invested five bucks a month in your website. Yeah, five bucks a month. We're a serious business now, right? So there's that, but also G Suite and Gmail have different thresholds for the number of emails you can send per day. And that severely impacts bounce rate when you're doing a significant amount of, when you're sending a lot of emails. And that's especially true at the start. I haven't seen any science behind this, but most people I've spoken to and we've experienced ourselves many times is you kind of have to like warm your email account up a little bit. So when we start a new site, we'll send, you know, 10, 20, 30 emails a day at most. And that's even on a G Suite account. And then over that week, two weeks, three weeks, ramp it up a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. And then 
you can get to, to doing a few hundred a day if you keep going. So there's no exact science behind that. Just kind of ease yourself in and, and it should work. There are a few things as well. Avoid templates. So if you're using a template, such as the ones you can find in Authority Hacker Pro for this, uh, customize them. Customize your subject lines, especially. Customize your, your your templates. Imagine you have thousands of people all sending the exact same email, and then that suddenly gets their ha- uh, some spammer gets their hands on it and tries sending that to Gmail and whatever other blacklist uh, tools or are out there are going to quickly start sensing that people who send this specific email are, you know, don't have the best of intentions perhaps. So that's why being unique and customizing what you send is important. Also avoid any kind of like spammy words uh, or subjects. If you use something like active campaign, sometimes when you're sending a, a, not to do outreach, but just for your email marketing, there's a kind of spam checker I'm not quite sure how it works. Most email tools have this, actually. I mean, there's free APIs that do that, basically. Yeah, and what it does is it looks for common words or phrases, which a lot of email spammers use. It tends to be things... I I see it happening a lot with making money or losing weight, which is why a lot of health sites say lose the pounds as opposed to lose weight. And there's kind of a bit of weird lingo going on. But anyway, all that is uh, to do with spam filters. So you just want to be careful that what you're actually saying in your subject, especially, but also the content of your email doesn't it doesn't sort of trigger any too good to be true. This is a spam kind of uh, filter. Yeah. Oh, and the other thing as well is uh, verify your your email list. So if you're bulk getting data from Hunter or even if you're just going through uh, manually and, and, and doing it yourself, pulling emails from sites, you can find a lot A lot of emails may actually be invalid because they've expired, they've changed, they were entered incorrectly in the, wrong, in, the, in the first place or various other reasons. So you can, Hunter has a verification service built in, which is separate from the email finding service. It's, it's a bit cheaper. So you can run it through that. Or I know a lot of people who listen to us use Mailshake Really, really good tool. Definitely would recommend them uh, for doing the actual outreach part. But they have a inbuilt ver- email verification service now. I think it's like ten bucks per five thousand emails or something, which is really quite affordable. So there's no reason not to do that when you're when you're doing outreach as well. Yeah, Mailshake is like by far number one recommended outreach tool mm-hmm. right now. Really, if you want to do SEO, you need two tools at this point. You need Ahrefs and you need Mailshake, and that's it. I mean, you can do SEO. Obviously, you could get more tools, but you can do 99% of what you need with just these two tools. Yeah, GMAS still works as well. I know they've been working on it quite a bit lately. Uh, Mailshake is just it's a better tool. I find it has more features. It's a little bit better thought out, and I, I like the fact that it has its own interface versus GMAS's. Yeah, it's easy to use. Yeah. The, the data and the analytics from it's also very, very powerful now. So, yeah. Yeah. Actually, I'm just going to get on a tangent here, but what do you use the analytics data for? Like, what do you get out of it? It's usually for testing. So we'll test different subject lines, test different types of emails, different like ways of doing follow-ups all that kind of stuff and just look at the numbers, see how it performed. You can also often find if there's any serious issue with deliverability or open rate or click-through rates, you know, if something's down or some part of it's broken, one of the numbers will be massively off, but yeah. Okay, well, that actually gets into my next question, I think, which is 
what happens if I sent all these emails and nothing happens? I get no replies, nothing. What do I do? Yeah, so at the end of the day, it's a numbers game. And in order to make the most success of this, you need to add a couple follow-ups usually into your, your outreach sequence. And I know this kind of divides a lot of people. I was just watching a webinar the other day who someone was slating the fact that someone had emailed them, say, asking for, I think it was for a guest post and then followed up twice in the space of a week. Like well, those. To be frank, there's a guy that emailed me eight times in the last six days or seven days to get on this podcast. And yeah, I can understand the frustration sometimes too. You know? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I get them as well. I, I I see it a lot in coming through for, for health ambition, people people asking to guest posts and stuff. The flip side of that is it actually works. So we built 3,000 links to health ambition in the last couple of years, and 50% of those came from follow-ups of this kind. So that's a lot of links. Uh, it doesn't matter how you, you count it. And... The fact is, it, it just works. I mean, people are busy. I don't know what your inbox is like, Gail, but mine's a bit of a state these days. Terrible. And sometimes people will email me and let's say I'll be out and about at the shop or, you know, walking the dog or something. And I look at my phone. I was like, oh, okay, that sounds interesting. And then I mark it as unread. I, it stays in my inbox, but it's kind of gone from my attention and something else comes along and I forget about it. It just works its way down the list. Then that person follows up three days later and it's suddenly like refreshed at the top of my list again while I'm actually in the office at home and I can deal with it at the time. So in that case, a follow-up is not a bad thing. One of my friend's girlfriends was applying for internship at a law firm recently and they just like were not getting back to her and stuff. And I suggested just follow up, follow up and then call them again at the end. And, and she did. And it just turns out they'd forgotten to get back to her and tell her her start date for her internship and stuff so wow okay you know there's these kind of things happen happen all the time it's it's just a fact of life people get busy don't be afraid to follow up it's basically the first thing but your question was like what if people are not replying so that is kind of half of it it could just be you lost her attention and you need to you need to add a couple follow-ups to that the other reason is it could be something else and there's no way of knowing that straight away you need to diagnose it so a good way to look at it, again, if you have Mailshake, this is very helpful. You can look at, are they actually opening your email? And if they are, if they're not opening your email, it could be something with your subject line or it could be some kind of deliverability issue. You need to diagnose that. If they are opening your email, then it could be that either your message is crap or the guest post proposal sample that you've sent is crap or the skyscraper article that you've created to try and get links to is is outdated or not very good or the pages oh your site is terrible yeah. too it happens a lot. like people just have just horrible sites that like don't open mobile yeah. ha Atari hacker yeah. and just look unprofessional like colors all over the place etc and you know the more professional and serious you look the same way as having a domain name email address the more people will take you seriously and actually answer. And very often, and that's going to be controversial a bit, I think sometimes the form is more important than the actual content, yeah. you know? That if your site looks very professional, very serious, etc., even if the content is trash, people will still take it seriously. Which, because these people, 
let's be honest, they don't really read every article that they link to. You'd be surprised. I mean, I think you're probably talking about ourselves doing that more than other people. I I think other people are the same. No, a lot of people actually do read every single word. And if you have like a spelling mistake or anything slightly off, they will crucify you for it. So... Sure, some people. I mean, I, I, what percentage of people you outreach to would that be? It compared, like oh, people that actually I, I open think, the email. Not people of the people that link to you, at least half. Okay, so. well, that means half doesn't. Yeah, so, much. I mean, the takeaway from that is you can make a beautiful looking article which has no substance to it and get, not and, and, and still get links, but we wouldn't recommend doing that, so. Yeah, no, I mean, anyway, I don't think you do very well with converting. I don't think you do very well with even yeah, ranking. So, but, but like what you, what you said, like the, it's a really good point because there are some things which you can do to improve the kind of first impression. So if you're running ads on the page you're trying to outreach for, cut them on that page while you're doing the outreach for oh, a week, yeah. two weeks, a month. If you have pop-ups, get rid of those as well. If there's something that I'm not saying do a bait and switch, it's massively unethical. But if there's something that, you know, a broken image or something that's outdated that mentions 2017 instead of 2018, just spend a couple minutes like polishing it and making sure it's good to go now. That will usually make a significant difference. So that's the kind of the approach to like identify the problem. And if the problem is your your subject line and people just aren't interested in it, aren't excited by it, which even if it's terrible, some people will still open it then that's the point you should definitely be be A-B testing that as well. Okay. So let's imagine people are actually replying, but they're replying that they want some money to put the link on your site or to take your guest post or to whatever. What do you tell them? Do you pay? I never have since we started Authority Hacker. We used to run a guest posting service agency kind of thing five plus years ago, something like that. And we used to sell guest posts like as a service for people. And in that situation, I would say most of them we ended up paying for, at least half of them by the end of it. And I think if you're buying links or paying a company to to do this kind of stuff for you, you'd be surprised at how often they just pay and get out of the way. It's a very easy way to get a lot of links quite quickly. Just pay 10, 20, 30 bucks for, for each of these links. In some niches, it's very frequent that people ask. I mean, in the financial yeah. niches, et cetera, it's like 80%. More than 80%, yeah. So, you know, you have to kind of adjust things based on your, your niche. I'm not advising anyone to do this, as I said, at Authority Hacker and on our other sites as well, even the ones that we haven't made public yet. Rebuild, yeah. We still don't do it just because, you know, it would be very hypocritical, hypocritical for us to, us to say this and, and do that. So we don't do it. I know a lot of people who would classify themselves as as white hat link builders or white hat SEOs. They will do this on occasion, but it's more the exception rather than the, than the rule. If, if someone's asking you for money and it's like a big corporate site or something, it's probably not worth going down that route. Uh, they probably have some you know massive fees and and whatnot. If it's some personal blog. Rather than paying them, at least they've responded. So that's a good thing. I would suggest just trying to get in there in another way. So if, for example, you've pitched the skyscraper link kind of thing, if they turn around and ask you for money, I say, well, how about I do a guest post instead? You can try and lecture them all you want on why 
buying links is bad, selling links is bad, but 99.9% of people won't care, won't listen. So it's probably not worth your your time to even do that. So yeah, if they ask for money, try offer them a guest post instead. You will get a lot of rejections for people who, who literally just don't care about anything, just want the money. And if you are, and I'm not recommending this, but if you are the type of person that doesn't mind paying money for this, then what I would advise is only do that if the site is legitimately good because you'll probably find that there's a lot of other people who have much shittier websites than you also paying for links from that site because only those kind of sites will accept them from gambling sites and this kind of stuff. So we're getting into sort of bad neighborhood territory and stuff there. Yeah, I mean, yeah, if they say yes to you, they'll say yes to anyone. And they're just used to offering it in the first place, so... It's kind of like scholarships, you know. Now it's like the scammy as shitty yeah. site on scholarship pages, just because everyone's abused it completely. Yeah, yeah it's but kind of at, it's at kind the of end of the day. Remember, Google does not want you. It's against their terms of service. Not illegal, but it's against their terms of service, and they can and have heavily penalized sites for for doing it before. For me, it's not worth the risk. Others have a different view on that, so. Yeah, we talked about this with MadDigity. So if you want to hear more about that, check the MadDigity podcast a couple of weeks ago. And he does buy links and he talks about it, but he has good arguments for it. So I don't mind personally. Like yeah, as long as you're willing to accept the risk, it's up to you, you know. Yeah. I would certainly advise if you're if you're new to this and you're just starting your first link building campaign, don't even entertain don't yeah, even entertain not. it the at the start. Yeah, it is increasing the risk. Let's talk about another thing that people ask when you talk to them. Sometimes they ask for money, but sometimes they're like, yeah, okay, I'll link to you, but you have to me too. Can you please do that? Will you add my link to this page or something? And then just kind of like reverse the script on you. And you have to give them a link for them to give you a link. First of all, like two-way links. It's not necessarily recommended for a long time. People were like, it's actually canceled by Google. I don't believe it's canceled. I mean, look, willing to Ahrefs, Ahrefs things to us. And I believe both sites have been The first thing I ever read about link building this was back in 2009 recommended yeah. to, to do this to, to to reach out to people and say i'll link to you if you link to me kind of thing and that was the way a lot of people built links back in the day uh, and, it, and it it did work i'm sure even now it has some effect i just wouldn't suggest that this should be the saying yes to that should not be your default response it's just setting yourself up for potential problems if if you do that too often I actually just had an idea. What if you put a write for us page and get your site featured on our site kind of things on your site? And then when a really good site reaches to you, you make a link exchange. Do you think that's a good link building tactic? I don't say that again. I don't understand what you would. Let's imagine you make a write for us page for guest posts, for uh-huh. example, or you make on your site, on yeah. Health Ambition, for example, or you do a get your site featured on our site. Like, oh, if you have a great resource yeah. on any topic we cover, we'd be happy to link out to you, right? And you wait for people to just email you. And then you just filter the sites that email you. And when there's a really good one, you just make a trade. So you use that as a way of link building? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it. people do that. I'm sure that would I'm sure a thousand people will do it after this episode. Yeah, yeah. It can work. I wouldn't personally do that. I think there's you're sort of getting into territory where you're not really abiding by the letter of the law or the spirit of it, but you're kind of trying to justify it to yourself, even though... I actually don't believe it because as long as you editorially review all the links on your sites, so I said you only take the quality links and they should review your content too, 
if both parties do it, then that's completely within terms of service, right? I agree. However, this is not something which would go <laughs> to such a open-minded and fair court to make the final ruling on before a sentence was handed down in, in such a situation. So I, I wouldn't personally risk it. The other thing I would say is you made a very like big leap of faith there saying that if you both thoroughly editorially review everything and do it all properly and above board, mm-hmm. let's be honest, 99% of people are not going to do that. So, But if you do it on your end, you're probably not risking too much do you the truth is i don't know i don't know what the penalty i don't know the what the penalty this is a future podcast episode on like baiting people to outreach to you yeah i mean like a lot of people do have right for us pages when they want guest posts so there's no reason why you you, it couldn't work i just yeah but you would do it to get links from others really yeah i I just don't know the severity of you know link exchange I would say I would not do it if that was the only link building I do. But if I was running a lot of other types of link building, and let's say that would be like, you know, 5 to 10% of the links I acquire, I would consider it. Yeah. I mean, another way of kind of sidestepping this is a lot of people will, let's say they have multiple sites, they'll do some kind of thing where if they say that, they'll reply, well, I can't link back to you, but I have this other site. What if I link to that from there? And again, it can work. It's a way to get links. You can do that if you're comfortable with, with doing that. It's just a bit iffy, really. Okay. Yeah, I agree. I mean, these are not the best links for sure. So what do you do when someone asks you for a link in exchange? What do you tell them? Usually no. But again, it's your foot in the door. So you can often, I mean, it's different with money because if you say, I'm not going to give you money, give me a link anyway, nobody's going to give you that link anyway. I don't think it's ever happened. But with the reciprocal thing, often they're just trying their luck. They'll say, oh, maybe I could do it. We have a default response set up for this. I can't remember exactly what it, what it goes, but it's something like, we don't do this because Google doesn't like this, blah, blah, blah. And, or we're not allowed to do this. We've made a policy about this internally, something like that. And not everyone, but enough people will still give us the link or still let us guest post anyway, that Both is worth can. going back and responding to, to people who ask for this. So, yeah. Okay. So let's imagine you actually got a link this time. It does happen, especially with guest posting, right? That you send a guest post, they post it, and then a week later, the link is removed. That that doesn't happen very often. I think what happened... It used to happen more on shitty sites. I've seen it on a lot of shitty guest posting What happens a lot is you agree everything, you send the guest post, they're happy with it, and then they take a long time to, to actually post it. I think our record is something like 260 days between when they said they'd already received the, the Google Doc and they'd agreed to post it and when it actually went live. So usually it's much shorter. You'll go up in two to four weeks. But don't expect that to happen instantly. People do have publishing schedules and just other stuff going on in their lives. It takes a while. Again, this is one of the areas you can, you can follow up on. But if you actually get that up and then at some point in the future, the link comes down and it's always good to keep a a log or a spreadsheet with all of the links that you've acquired manually. So you can periodically go back and just check that they're all working. If that happens, first and foremost, don't jump to conclusions. There's a really good chance that there was not some nefarious reason here and they're not trying to screw you over by stealing your content and not linking to you. Often, you know, pages get updated, editors come and go, new design rolls out, or 
some plugin gets updated and it breaks some things or just something happens and the link disappears or is broken or whatever. And a simple follow-up in a really friendly manner is a will normally resolve the situation nine times out of 10 at least. I mean, that's simple as like, I don't stress about that too much. Certainly don't go in in an aggressive or antagonistic way or make ac- accusations. It just happens. You may get the odd person, you know, one in a hundred or something who, when this happens, they, they just drag their heels and they won't actually change it back. And, you know, it's just, it's just one of these things, but it, it's very much the exception rather than the rule. Yeah. I don't think it happens very often. It just, do we monitor any of the links that we have? All or of them, do yeah. We just, yeah. So we check regularly, yeah. right? And what do we tell them? We just tell them, Hey, it seems like the link dropped and that's it. Yeah. So, I mean, a good way is position it is you could say that you were showing it to someone else. So you can email them saying, because you've already got their email address because you've been in touch with them before. So again, make sure you store that next to it in the same spreadsheet. But you can email them saying, hey, I was just reading through your site and wanted to show it to someone else and saw that my link disappeared. I wanted to make sure that it wasn't because of something I said or did. So it's written in a way that's trying to evoke a response from them, but it's clearly not placing the blame on them. Yeah, it's kind of like, did I do anything wrong? Yeah, yeah. And normally you will just get a quick apology from that and they'll they'll fix it straight away. So especially if it's a guest post. So cool. Another one that I think is happening more and more, especially with skyscraper, is kind of like people overlap their skyscraper campaigns and everyone does the same ones and your computers are going after your links after you've built them. So let's say you've done a skyscraper, you've done well, and you have let's say 30 links to a page, a piece of content, and then and then six months later, some guy decides to make an even longer version. So he made the 5,000 words and he do the 8,000 words version with custom illustrations and parallax effects when you scroll down and so on. And then they email all the guys that link to you and say, hey, I have a better guide. Link to me instead. And it's like the content war begins, you know. I mean, to be honest, you can't really stop people from doing this. There is one thing that you could do, but... No, actually, you cannot, actually. I was going to say you could block HRS, but that would not change the link, referring links anyway. You can't really block that. No, this, um, is, this, is, like, anyway, this, is, this is in business, this is in digital business, this is your competition. So it's the same as if you're a hairdresser, another one opening across the street kind of thing. You just have to deal with that, and it will force you to be a better business, to make your content better, to up your game, to make your outreach your yeah. content more creative more unique more epic and it's a good thing in a way i know it doesn't feel like it when it feels like someone's coming after you hard or like straight up copycats but the best people will prevail in that situation so you just have to kind of have a bit of faith in yourself that, that you will adapt there a lot of people went after a lot of health ambition content and i mean we haven't like we're not on top for everything but like Overall, the site's doing okay despite that. Anyway, so like overall, there's also still a lot of room on the internet yeah, as well. Usually, like we're not at the point where every skyscraper topic usually is so as well with people doing skyscraper, people doing guest posts. It's actually a very small segment of a niche or of a, an industry that's actually doing that. So more often than not, both of you are taking away a slice of the pie from one of your other competitors anyway so it's it's not really i it definitely wouldn't advise getting into kind of antagonistic uh, i don't know link stealing matches or oh i don't even know what, what i'm saying here but I, I wouldn't advise being a dick basically try and be nice to everyone that works in most situations yeah, yeah. i have heard uh, 
finance or there was another one gambling and stuff uh, it's very very much like that so yeah your mileage may be yeah better. that's why i mean especially in competitive niches like it's, it's definitely happening i mean I'm, I'm seeing it because i've done all this niche research for the new autoside yeah. system and i've like looked into like a dozen niches in total and some niches you can see like sites in the same domain rating range and they all have the same skyscrapers etc and just copying each other one yeah. releases one and then Two weeks later, they release the same topic and they go after the same people. So, and I guess the people that link to the original pages, they receive like 15 emails once because everyone's copying each other. I think overall, it's kind of better to be the trendsetter than the follower yeah. for this. Because when you're the first one, like when you're refreshing a topic that hasn't been talked about for several months or several years, and you're making something new there, then you're going to reach out to people that haven't been solicited for this kind of outreach for a long time. So they'd be quite responsive to it. But like, when's the 10th person for the same topic emailing you, telling you they have this guide? What do you think your chances are, you know? Not very high. So you get more links by actually trying to avoid people rather than trying to copy them. Yep. So, all right. I think you wrote something about emotional barriers. Do you want to talk about this? Yeah. So this is the probably one of the most common reasons why people don't start in the first place or after they do, after they've sent 20 emails and haven't had a positive response, they, they give up and they say link building doesn't work. A lot of this comes down to a, a simple fear of fear of rejection or fear of being disliked by some website owner, potentially someone you you would want to be liked by if it was a you know someone in your industry. It's just a fact of the of of life. When you're doing this, when you're doing any kind of sales, any kind of direct marketing, not everybody is going to respond positively. It is a bit of a numbers game at the end of the day. There's definitely things that you can and you should should do to dramatically in, increase your response rate, to increase your positive response rate as well. But even if you have the best content in the world, doing the most hyper-targeted, most relevant, best outreach with like the softest follow-up, that, that kind of stuff, you're going to catch someone on a bad day who you know has just gone through some business issue or you know someone's stolen one of their links or something in their personal life has, has happened, you're going to catch them at that time and they're going to respond asking you. I mean, we've had some pretty horrendous responses over the years. You have to read them. You have to read them. It's like, this is what's going to get us so much good ratings for this episode. So, okay. The all-time best response we've had was this one. Have you considered suicide? If so, try a hammer. That way, even if you fail, you will entertain people around you. Make sure to have someone video and upload it to YouTube. Perhaps then you'll actually make money online and won't have to fucking spam people anymore. This is an actual response we've we received. And in terms of the amount of emotional rejection I felt from that, it was somewhere between zero and zero. Like that person is it's obviously, you know, you've caught them at the wrong time. They're having a bad day. They probably got a, a few more similar emails that day. And it's just, just a cost of doing business, I, I'm afraid. I'm sorry if you're that person uh, that we've just read out your response. It, this happens. It's a pretty good one. I think it's like it's better it's than quite well worded. Yeah, I will, I will say it, it did certainly add a, a certain amount of entertainment value. 
get some style yeah, points, you know. But I, I, I just want to make sure that no one sort of interprets this the wrong way. We're definitely not trying to wind people up. We're not trying to get these kind of responses. We're definitely trying to avoid them. We want to get links here. So often people will say things, take it on board for sure. But remember what people say and what people do are two different things. So if you send a thousand emails and you have 10 people respond to you telling you that you're scum and you shouldn't email them, and then you have 30 people give you a link, like what does the data say there? Is it worthwhile campaign or not? I can't answer that question. You have to decide. I'm not saying 10 people in a thousand respond that way. It's like, you know, one in 10,000 or something like that would do it. I mean, it comes with any kind of internet exposure, to be honest. It's going to come when you try to sell stuff to people. People are going to tell you you're a sellout, that you're, you know, completely biased, etc. Yeah, it's we get that a lot on our webinars. And stuff. It, like, you're going to get it every time you put something out there. I mean, I'm sure this podcast is going to be hated by at least a dozen people. So if you're listening to us still, I'm talking to you. And and it's okay. It's like it's, it's a general acceptance of rejection that you need to grow to put yourself out there. And I think that's one of the reasons why fake personas developed so much yeah. as well, you know, because you could hide behind it. Yeah, that's it. very true. It felt a lot less personal doing it that way. But... Again, we did a podcast on fake personas at the start of the year. I'm not going to go into it again. We're moving away from them. We don't recommend doing them. It's much better to actually try and build a real relationship as you. And that has a much better success and you get much more amazing opportunities to do more than just link build, but like really build cool relationships and do a lot of cool stuff with people. But if you're not doing that, then uh, I forgot what I was going to say there. Then don't do it. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what you're going to say. Anyway, it's it doesn't like put yourself out there and just accept it. And that's part of this business. It's just part of what it is. You're going to have haters and you're going to get rejected and you're going to yeah. get in front of people and say, my stuff is great. And they'll tell you, your stuff is terrible. You should never do this and you should just go back yeah, and get an it's not. It's not, a reje- it's not always a rejection of what you're actually putting out there. I mean, a lot of the time people don't even read your article or your, read your guest post idea. They just, they just don't want you to email. It's like if you go in the YouTube comments and if you find a good video, like a really good video that someone spent a lot of time and it's, it's amazing, there's going to be some people really just hating on it just because they have nothing better to do and they, they want to do that. If you Same with your blog post. I mean, if you publish something on your, on your blog, you're going to get some negative comments. People are going to post negative things about you on social media, on Twitter. God forbid you're in any kind of politics in the US at the, at the moment. But the internet is a, let's say, negative place for, uh, for criticism. It's virtual Westworld, yeah. you know? People so, just open up to all the crazy shit just, they have. You just have to be now. a little bit more thick-skinned about that and, and, and realize that often it's not, it's not a rejection of something which is core to your identity and it's more uh, just someone's having a bad day or someone's a little, being a little bit silly. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's all about focusing yeah. on the good feedback as well, right? Like uh, you'll email people your content and they'll tell you, oh my God, this is super great. Like we're super glad you have this, et cetera. And focus on that. I mean, sometimes like we get bad comments on what we do on Atari Hacker, et cetera. And, and that happens pretty often. But then, you know, I kind of like go and read the reviews on iTunes, for example. And it's like, I mean, most of them are good. And now all the haters are going to go there. But it's like, we focus on what's positive and just focus also on, on what you wanted. Initially, you didn't want to be loved by people. You wanted to build links and rank higher, right? So if you have some success in that, then sometimes 
the hate from people that seem to be hating everything anyway it's it's probably worse. yeah i mean i feel like we could do a full a whole episode on uh on hate yeah hate. i feel like it's deriving <laughs> it's like a therapy slash podcast yeah. you know that is one side of the the emotional barrier and a lot of people as well are just less extroverted uh the fact that someone's working online with a website, I would say that people like that tend to be more introverted than, let's say, a, a sales rep in a pharmaceutical agency or something like that, which is completely the opposite. So, and you and I, we're both, I mean, it may not sound like that from, from the podcast, but we're not the most extroverted of people by any means. And we were never really that good at like, you know, sales and you know, dealing with people and this kind of stuff we've gotten a lot better at it since we since we started uh authority hacker and that but it's just like don't be afraid of of social interaction even if it's on a on an email especially if it's not an email it's really not if that something bad. goes wrong words, like you know? just disengage you know don't spend your time re- responding to to haters and negative negative people just uh, take the lesson or the feedback if there, if there is anything and just move on delete the email move on and I think that's what we're going to do now. We're going to move on. <laughs> so, do you have anything else to add on this topic? Uh, no, not really. I, I mean, t- most people, if you're not doing link building and you want to start doing it, it's just a case of getting started. You don't need to try and have the perfect template or the perfect system or the perfect way of doing it. You learn that over time. We're still learning things. We're still making mistakes, you know, four or five years into this. So... And we still will make some. I mean, we we always look back at what we did yeah. a couple of years before, and then we're like, "Wow, that was so bad!" Like, I can't believe we actually managed to 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 still make a full time yeah. income back then. Uh, and I'm sure we're gonna look at what we're doing now, and we'll think exactly the same in a few years. So yeah, you don't need things to be perfect. You just need to get started. We try to address the most common roadblocks. I think a lot of these, you will have one or two of these things that at least happen to you. As you get started, they all can be dealt with. Yeah, it's not always perfect. There's not always a perfect solution that solves this thing exactly, but you can minimize the impact at least on the whole process. And hopefully that helps some of you guys get started with link building, which tends to be the step that scares people the most when they get started with a new website. So we hope you enjoyed this episode. If you want to check the show notes, they can be found on atarihacker.com slash link dash building dash roadblocks. And we'll see you next week for another episode. Thanks for listening. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Authority Hacker Podcast. If you enjoyed this show, don't forget to rate us on iTunes and send us a screenshot on authorityhacker.com slash bonus to claim your free premium Authority Hacker training.